The scripture reading today is from the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 15, verses 7 through 13, and verses 17 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of his ancient people on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall have hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to boast of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, and to win obedience from the Gentiles, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem, as far around as Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the good news of Christ. Thus, I make it my ambition to proclaim the good news not where Christ has already been named, so that I do not build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him shall see, and those who have never heard of him shall understand. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow before God in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we remember the words of our Lord Jesus as he quoted from the scriptures of the Old Testament, saying that we cannot live by bread alone, but only by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Grant us to know this truth and grant us grateful hearts to believe that you long to speak to us, especially through Holy Scripture. So speak now, we pray, and grant us life in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we come to the end of our series of sermons in which we've been looking together at Paul's letter to the church in Rome, one of the most significant uh, letters that we have, passages we have in the whole of the New Testament, written a relatively short time after Jesus' life and death and resurrection within some 25 years. So go back to uh, 9-11, go back to the late 1990s, and that's about the same time frame, back to the uh, life and death and resurrection of Jesus on the face of this earth. And then this letter is written to those who come to believe in our Lord Jesus. In the very last chapter of Romans, which is chapter 16, one chapter after the chapter from which we've just heard, Paul actually lists the names of some of the members of the church in the city of Rome to whom he was writing, people whom he knows, even though he has himself never personally visited Rome. The ancient world was, in fact, far more cosmopolitan 
that many of us would think there was far more travel across that world than sometimes we imagine. No airplanes to get around, no big ships or liners to travel in, but small ships and on foot people nevertheless were on the move back then as they are today. And Paul knew quite a few people who were in the church in Rome. I'm going to read the list from Romans chapter 16, verses 3 through 15 as our second scripture reading. You may find it to be rather boring at first. It's just a list of names, but actually, I find it to be quite interesting. You'll see why in just a moment. So it reads like this. Greet Prisca and Aquila, who work with me in Christ Jesus and who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. I wonder what that story was about. I'm not sure we can ever find out this side of heaven. Greet also the church in their house. People worshipped in houses in those days. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert in Asia, that's modern-day Turkey, for Christ. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard among you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives, whether physically or whether by the blood of our Lord Jesus, we don't know, who were in prison with me. We've don't hear about that in the rest of the scripture. And are prominent among the apostles, Junia, a woman, an apostle who has seen the risen Jesus. And they were in Christ before I was. They, they were some of the very first followers of Jesus outside of the 12 disciples. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my relative Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Those are female names. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and greet his mother, a mother to me also. Her husband was almost certainly Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross for Jesus, who is named as the father of Alexander and Rufus. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, Philologus, Julius, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. So that's the list. You may find it to be just a little bit boring, but one of the most fascinating things to me, apart from the things I pointed out, is this, that some of those mentioned in this list, written in this letter, written in the mid-50s of the first Christian century, would lose their lives for their faith in Jesus Christ within 10 years. These were the leaders of the church, and within 10 years, these are the names of some people who would lose their lives for Jesus Christ. In AD 64, a great fire swept through the city of Rome, and within a year, the emperor Nero turned on the Christians as scapegoats. Now, the city of Rome by that time was between 800,000 and 1.2 million, historians believe, was the population. The church must have grown dramatically in those years for Nero to want to point the finger at the Christians, but these ones were on the ground level as leaders. And the first century historian, Roman historian Tacitus, describes what would have happened to them in these words. This is one of the first historical references to Jesus outside of the Gospels and jives perfectly with the story that were told in the Gospels. Tacitus tells the situation like this. In order to abolish the rumor that he had somehow ordered Rome to be burned, Nero falsely accused and executed those people called Christians who were infamous for their abominations. In fact, one of their abominations was communion, eating the body and the blood 
of Christ. The originator of the name Christ was executed as a criminal by the procurator Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius, exactly as the Gospels say. The ones seized first were those who admitted their faith and then using the information they provided. A vast multitude were convicted, not so much for the crime of burning the city, but for hatred of the human race, for telling people that they were sinners in need of God's grace. Additionally, the way they perished became like a sport. They were killed by dogs by having the hides of beasts attached to them. They were nailed to crosses. They were set aflame. And when the daylight passed away, they were used. And how horrible is this as nighttime lamps? Those persecuted Christians are not nameless. They're not. Some of them are the very Christians to whom Paul wrote this letter that we have been studying together in safety. Prisca, Aquila, Epinetus, Mary, Andronicus, Junia, Ampliatus, Urbanus, Stachus, Apelles, Aristobulus and his family, Herodian, Narcissus and his family, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis, Rufus and his mother, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus. There just is no question. Some of these were martyrs for the faith. They lost their life in the persecution of Nero. And why? Why? Well, because actually of what Paul taught them in this letter and of what Paul would continue to teach them as some years later he himself would finally get to Rome as a prisoner under house arrest but teach them about Jesus Christ. Their faith was no joke. No laughing matter, no passing fad, not merely a matter of choice from a smorgasbord of religious options that we have today and they had back in Rome in those, those days, but a matter of truth, of absolute truth, not only worth basing their lives upon to give them help for the business of daily living, and the gospel is that, it really is that, but it was also worth giving up their lives for. It was that as well. Is that what your faith is to you? Is it? What was at the core of their belief? Their faith that grasped their lives so completely? Well, just this. The strange idea of grace. The strange idea of grace that at a particular moment in history, something momentous happened. God entered history in the person of a Galilean peasant named Jesus and did so as a gift, a free gift from the God of the universe. Because this God was desperate to reconcile a broken world and broken human lives back to himself. Desperate to be reconciled to his creation and to created beings like you and me. And God was willing to become one of us, enter his creation, and to suffer and die, to go to any length, body broken and blood shed for us, for this reconciliation. They were willing to die for that. And not only that, but just as important. And this leads us to our theme today. Just as important. Paul and the Christians in Rome believed that this God was passionate, not just about our vertical relationship with God, but our horizontal relationship with each other, that Jesus died to bring us together, to create on earth the first fruits of a human family in the church in which people would find their lives reconciled 
to one another. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to Galatians in chapter 3, puts it like this, that this church is to be comprised of people from every ethnic and demographic background. There is in Christ, within the fellowship of the church, to be no Jew or ethnic group, no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free. This is on a, an economic level, and no male or female. All of those divisions brought down and brought together in Christ. And this was not only what Paul wanted, or the Christians wanted, but what Jesus wanted, and for which he died. And he wanted that message of reconciliation between us and God vertically and horizontally, not merely to be proclaimed in words, as I am doing just now, but that is part of it, but to be embodied, lived out in flesh and blood in a community of real people, the church. To many Christians, sadly, today, especially in the Western world, the church is sort of a, an added-on idea. There's me and Jesus, and that's what's really important, and then there's the church when we need it, if and when we need it. This just wasn't how Jesus and the early disciples saw it at all. Look back at the four Gospels, and you'll see, as I have mentioned on a number of occasions, Jesus' gathering of the 12 disciples around him was one of the very first things that he did, and the number 12 is not inconsequential. It is the number of the tribes of Israel, the original community of God. And Jesus is saying, I am establishing a new community. I have come to touch your lives individually but I have come to bring you together. Not only to die for your sins to reconcile you, you to God, but to die for your sins so that you may forgive one another and live together as my church. And it's no accident, it's just no accident that the symbols of communion that we will celebrate in a few moments are powerfully communal. Communal, we call it communion because it's communion between us and God and between us and one another. And we have bread and we have wine and we have a table. And I know that some of you are alone just now, but even when we share in communion later, you're not alone. You are with this community that we have experienced even through COVID gathered together. But here in the sanctuary, in flesh and blood, it is the family of God gathered around a thanksgiving table. That's the image. Family, team, gathered together that Jesus says we are commanded to do. So it's really not surprising that Romans ends this great theological treatise. Not with a great theological treatise, but with a list of people. A list of names. People reconciled to God and reconciled to each other within the church, bound together by the blood of Christ. And in this chapter that we have read, it should come as no surprise that Paul leaves with the church in Rome some of the basic principles for community life, for life together, that the church in Rome and we today are to keep in mind. But the church in Rome was to keep in mind because these would be sources of enormous strength when in the days to come, unknown to them at the time, they would be persecuted to death for their faith. For them and for us. What kind of a community did Jesus die to create? What kind of a community 
did Jesus come to make? What kind of a community will see us not only through good days, but through tough days together? According to our passage in Romans 15, three characteristics are on the Apostle Paul's mind. This is to be the church. This is to be a community of welcome, radical welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. This is to be a community of diversity with people of all kinds of different backgrounds. And this is to be a community of mission and purpose, driven on its way by the indwelling Christ within us on behalf of Jesus and for the world. I want us to look at these elements one by one, welcome, diversity, and mission. So let's do that together. A community of welcome. Our passage begins in verse 7 with these words, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Doug DeZottle is a United Methodist pastor, tells the following story from his own experience as a child on the power and the importance of something so simple as welcome. He writes, one of my earliest memories of Sunday school is of the warm welcome offered to me Sunday after Sunday by Bethy Pond. As a small boy, I was fearful of leaving my mother's side and going into a Sunday school room without her. Many children have that fear, and adults, by the way, have that fear too. But then, Bethy became my greeter, my guide, and my friend. She would meet me in the southeast foyer of the big church building and take me by the hand and go into the Sunday school room with me. Even though she was older than me, she would stay in the classroom with me and keep me company. Bethy became my Sunday friend, and I looked forward to seeing her smiling face at the top of the stairs in the foyer. She made it so much easier for this fearful little boy to leave his mother's side. And then he adds this. Bethy had Down syndrome. I didn't know about that at the time. All I knew was that Bethy was my friend. And I didn't want to go to Sunday school without her. Bethy welcomed Doug as Christ had welcomed her. She gave herself to him, all herself, to make Doug feel welcomed to arms like Christ on the cross, open wide. This is our job. Simple as that. It's not just for some. The official greeters, it's for all of us. And especially as we return together, it is for all of us. It's for all of us online, but especially when we come together, because I think when we come together, something's going to happen. We are going to be so excited to see the people we haven't seen in over a year. But God has been doing some wonderful things. Some of you have become a part of the church during this year. You have never worshipped here yet. And you may not know others yet. And when we come together, our arms are to be open wide, not just for long-lost friends, but for those who are about to be our friends. May God help us. May God help you to keep your eyes not only on those you know, but to welcome those you don't know. Keep Bethy 
in your heart and mind. Welcome one another. As Christ has welcomed you, a community of welcome, but not just a community of welcome, but a community of diversity. Paul was Jewish, but the names in this list that I read for you, this fascinating list in Romans 16, are overwhelmingly Greek or Roman. They are what we would call Gentile, not like Paul, different from Paul. Yet these are the ones whom he mentions. In fact, I have to say, and I've said it a number of times in this series, I'm not too keen on this word Gentile because it hides from us the true meaning of the Greek word that the Apostle Paul used. His word is ethnos, from which we get our word ethnic or ethnicity. And Paul's embrace in our passage, it's not just of the Gentiles, whoever they are, but it's of people of every ethnicity, not just God's ancient people, but people of every ethnicity. The word ethnos appears in Romans about 30 times, and in our passage, seven times. Listen again to these words. First of all, welcome one another, verse 7. Just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then number two, diversity. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of his ancient people, the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, that's to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob in the pages of Genesis, that all kinds, not of Gentiles, of ethnic peoples might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written in the Bible in Psalm 18, I will confess you among the ethnic peoples of the world and sing praise to your name. And again, in the book of Deuteronomy, rejoice, O ethnic people, with his people. I want one people, says God. And again in the Bible, in Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you people of every ethnicity, let all the peoples praise him. And again by the prophet Isaiah, Paul is saying this is God's passion throughout our Old Testament scripture, not just for his ancient people, but for all of us. He says in Isaiah, the root of Jesse, the Messiah shall come, the one who rises to rule peoples of every ethnicity in him, in Jesus. All the Gentiles, people of every ethnicity, shall have hope. This is the kind of diversity that Paul lived for, that Jesus longed for. This is the kind of diversity that the Christians in Rome became accustomed to and that strengthened them for life. They did not settle for a church divided by race or class, rich or poor, black or white or whatever it may be. And we must pray for that in our church too. A welcome as Christ has welcomed us. Such a welcome that our community becomes more diverse because people feel more welcomed into it. The kind of embrace that brings all people here because they say, wow, that's my home too. That kind of welcome. And then third, Paul says of the church that this community is to be a community of mission. To be like Paul himself, whose vision of serving Christ to make Jesus known, didn't grow weaker as he grew older. It grew stronger day by day. A man on a mission. A community on a mission for Jesus Christ. This is how he describes his life at verse 17. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to boast of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. I'm not going to boast of my work for God. I'm going to boast of what Christ 
has done in and through me to win obedience from all these ethnic peoples by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. He is stunned at the work of God in and through his life. Then he says, from Jerusalem and as far round as Illyricum. I hope you can see in a minute or two on the screen a map. And on that map, you'll see a little red arrow that points to Illyricum on the top left-hand side. It's probably what we would call Montenegro today, part of the old Yugoslavia. So Paul is this man who's in his 50s. He's going to be 60 soon. And he has traveled over 10,000 miles for Christ on foot or in rickety boats on the dangerous Mediterranean Sea. He's been imprisoned. He's been run out of town. He's been bitten, beaten and bruised and rejected by who knows how many people. Yet, he has this enormous vision for Jesus Christ. So that from Jerusalem and as far around as Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Thus I make it my ambition to proclaim the good news, not where Christ has already been named, so that I do not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him shall see, and those who have never heard of him shall understand on a mission, not boasting, but bursting with what Christ has done inside him. Not an obligation or a duty, but gratitude for the God who healed his relationship vertically and who sent him on a mission horizontally as well. One of the dilemmas of church life is that many people come to church, and perhaps you are among them, because of some need that you're facing, some trouble or hatred or injury or sin or despair or darkness or sadness, something in your life. And you're looking for a community in which you will find love and comfort and joy and peace and faith and hope and light. And I pray that our community would be like that, that kind of a welcome, that kind of not only a greeting, but a practical welcome where we can help and aid. This is who we've been called to be. But here's the paradox. The paradox is this, that our healing so often will not come fully until we also recapture our sense of purpose and mission. Our healing will not come fully until we also recapture our sense of purpose and mission. We look to the inside and we care for each other on the inside. But God at the very same time when we say, I am needy, says, but somebody else needs you too. And countless people have found their healing when they have given themselves to others in that kind of a way. Remember the prayer of St. Francis, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon, but I've, I'm injured. I need that. But Lord, use me to help others who need it too. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. I need to be consoled, but use me as a channel of your grace on mission for you, for others. To be understood is to understand. I desperately want to be understood, but Help me to understand others too, to be loved as to love. And why? And the prayer ends by explaining why. For it is in giving that we receive this divine paradox. It's in pardoning that we are pardoned. It's when we forgive others that we 
understand more fully God's forgiveness of us. And it's in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, says Jesus, it remains alone and it bears no fruit. What an amazing gospel that the Apostle Paul describes in Romans. This free gift, this incredible good news, reconciliation between us and our maker vertically. God, the God of creation, the God of the universe of quirks and quarks, humbles himself to enter our existence, to bring back a willfully broken world to himself. It's not what we do for God. It's what God has done for us that is at the core of our life and our faith. But not just that. That's the first half of Romans. The second half is about God's passion to reconcile us to one another and to have the church be the provisional demonstration of that on the face of the earth. A community of welcome. A community of diversity. A community of mission. May God help us to know this good news. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, whom Paul mentions again and again in our passage, in God's power, may God lift us up to be far more than we could ever be by ourselves alone. And to find far more joy, even when the going is tough, than we could imagine as we serve our faithful God and Savior through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit together. So let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you and ask that you would look down upon this congregation that bears your name. And if we are watching from some other congregation, whatever congregation we are a part of, prosper your church, we pray, so that we would honor and glorify you through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.